the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place for breaking news, powerful stories, podcasts, and plenty, plenty more than The Athletic. Download the app, get exclusive ad free content today. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track, get yourself 40% off that first year subscription. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Friday. Trade deadline is passed in the NBA. The Super Bowl is upon us in the NFL. We're going to focus on the former today with plenty more NFL to come, I promise. We're not going to abandon the NFL in our busiest time for sure. But the deadline did come for the NBA. It was not slow. You know, not um, dozens and dozens of trades like we'll have with the NHL at times, but certainly impactful players. The number two, the number nine, the number 19 paid player on the move. Certainly James Harden leading the way on that. That's the focus today. Not so much winners and losers, not so much a a blow-by-blow of every trade that happened. Uh, Scott and I kind of steer financially as much as possible here. Tax implications. Certainly the Porzingis move was very financial from both sides of that spectrum. Uh, What happens with the Celtics now, who certainly changed, you know, who they were over the past week and a half, two weeks. And uh, a couple more questions around those kind of focuses. Certainly the Harden one and what that means for him contractually speaking, with the 76ers contractually speaking, uh, now that we know a little bit more about not only the, is he going there, but he's opting into that player option as well. So Scott and I do a, a quick breakdown basically on some of the financial ramifications of yesterday's deadline moves. All right, Scott, NBA trade deadline is here and gone. It was active, a lot of what we expected. It was you know, a few teams doing some financial work, a few teams trying to push for the rest of the season in terms of the postseason, and James Harden for Ben Simmons. We can get to wherever you want in terms of starting points. I have a couple of questions here. Uh, to me, one of the most interesting teams was Boston. You want to start there? Yeah, let's go there. All right, the, the narrative with Boston coming into this deadline because of where they were in the standings, what we saw on the court was they're just going to shed some tax, get themselves under and healthy, and let the rest of the season play out as it was. That's not the case. They went on a, on a hot streak. Brad Stevens, now GM, basically said, look, we're buyers, not sellers. So where do they sit with this Derek Wright uh, acquisition with a couple of uh, small pieces out the door, Dennis Schroeder to Houston? Where do they sit in terms of their finances? Are they still an undertaxed team? Or at the end of the day, is that not going to be an option for them anymore? No, they're definitely an under tax team. The moves that they did moving Bull Bull and Dozier to uh, Orlando and bringing back a couple pieces, they're still under that tax threshold now. Um, they can, can, I, can I push they, back, though? Because I'm only seeing 10 players on the roster. Right. So um, can they still get this done with adding four players? Because I believe it's only about two and a half million to work with here. Right. They, they can, but they're all going to have to be minimum salaried where they're two-year vet minimums or below. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're all two-year vet minimums, they're going to be over the luxury tax. So my guess is there's going to be some guys that have zero or one experience to keep that uh, the finances down as much as possible. They are going to be up close to it after those signings. My guess is they're going to have some of their G League affiliate players come up, maybe convert a two-way to a standard contract, anything like that. They can definitely stay under the tax, but it, they're just going to have to uh, time their signings appropriately to make well, sure that. Quick follow up, because I've already read this narrative as well. Um, it's time for buyouts, right? I mean, the buyouts are here. 
if the Celtics are truly buying, then what I what I'm reading, I believe, which is a guy like Gary Harris could leave Orlando on a buyout and then he'd be a minimum salary somewhere else, right? That's that's a fit for Boston. Is it a prorated minimum salary, Scott, or is it the whole thing? It's prorated based on the day that they signed through okay. April 10th. So, so we're talking like 550,000 at the end of the day here, right? For these guys. Right. If, if a two-year vet minimum signed right now, today, it'd be $565,000 and change. And so any day that adds on to that, it's going to go down. Okay. Um, if, if it's a zero vet minimum, it's 313000 and change. Okay. Uh, so they, they've got some wiggle room, but timing is going to be crucial depending on what types of players they So sign. I think you're right. It's probably, you know, three G League type players on that two hundred grand, and then maybe one splashy buyout to push for the rest of the year. I think that's probably the right formula. Let's look at this trade real quick. I have it up here in front of us. Uh, there were more details that came forward this morning that I, that I tossed in here, and I think they're important. Uh, that 2022 fir first round pick is 100% gonna vest this year. I mean, they're 18th right now in terms of the standings for that lottery pick. It's gonna go to San Antonio. So um, what happens with this pick swap though? Is this something you've even, you've even known about? No, this was a the, the pick swap was something that came in late. I didn't even originally have that 20, right. 28 first rounder in there. So seeing that in there, it, it's an interesting throw in to get Derek White. I'm I'm not surprised that that came in late and that it's there. Yeah. Um. I, I like the piece of Derek White going to Boston, but time will tell if that's going to be. I mean, it's 2028, so it's so far out there that. Who knows? Well, let me push back on that because, you know, six years from now, this Tatum Brown era is done. <laughs> right. So they're going to be in rebuild mode at some point, most likely around that point. So having to swap with San Antonio then may be terrible at the end of the day. Now, it's probably not going to be Brad Stevens' problem. So, <laughs> right, kick the can down the road. By the way, we are incorrect here. Uh, San Antonio gets his first round pick. We got to update this. So I don't want to mislead our, our users here. This, this pick right here goes to San Antonio. So San Antonio gets everything right. but Derek White in this acquisition. So um, it's a lot to give up for a player who I think might come off the bench for Boston. Rightfully so. I think he's the right kind of player to kind of be bring in as that sixth man, facilitate the ball a little bit, work with one of the, uh, one of the Tatums or the Browns at, at a singular point in time. I, I like the fit. I like that they're pushing because it was going to be a boring story otherwise. Like I said, just kind of trimming some text and, and seeing what happens from there. All right, moving along here. I want to get to a really interesting story that's starting to unfold a little bit here with Oklahoma City. Right. Um, this is not the worst team in basketball, despite what you might think about this roster. They're 56 million under the tax threshold, 23 million under the cap threshold, the only team in, the, in basketball that has cap space right now. And they are 22 million plus under the salary floor. Explain to us what that means. That means they haven't spent enough cash to get to 90% of the cap maximum. So they have 22 million in change below that 90%, which means on the last day of the regular season, if whatever they're below, that money gets allocated towards all of those players on the roster. And uh, from the research that I did, it's based on the union, get the divvy up how much mm -hmm. a player that uh, would get a share of it that would take them over their maximum. Would right. not count if they usually play. You think then, 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 like a a Tatum and a Smart who are well paid would make less than you know a Robert Williams. 
if we're thinking like Boston? Well, if, if, if they're at their maximum and they can't go over, then right. they wouldn't get anything. But if you're a Robert Williams, then, and you've played 41 million or 41 games or so, you're going to get your full share. I see. Um, if, if it's between 20 and 40 games, they usually get about half their share, half okay. the share. That so it's based on games stuff. and production and stuff like that, huh? Right. Okay. It's kind of unprecedented. I think, but that, I think it has kind of happened important... before, right? But not to this level. Yeah, it has happened before, but not to this level. And it, what's kind of important in a way is uh, SGA, his extension doesn't kick in until next year. So he would actually get the share of that money, whereas next year he's slotted for the maximum. So if this was next year, he wouldn't get that share most likely because of being at that maximum. It's, it's fascinating, right? It's kind of like, a, uh, like a, a thank you gift for playing on a team that is clearly you know, in year nine of a rebuild, but this, this just doesn't happen. There are a lot of ways to circumvent this at this time of year. And there Oklahoma is. city didn't do any of them. Nope. And, you know, I guess they could take on a buyout contract and, and overpay a player. I guess if they had to, they could extend a couple of like 10 days. There's some ways to get to mitigate this, but I don't think they're clearing up 22 million. Do you? Oh no, not at all. No. Yeah, no, if they were going, if they were going to clear that 22 million, they would have taken on some bad contract that was going to get them close or over, um, which they could because they have cap space. They could have absorbed sure. any of those kind of contracts and only have to send back picks or cash or something like that. So the fact that they didn't take on any of that dead money from somebody else uh, just says that they're fine with divvying up that money towards those players. Fascinating. All right, let's flip to Portland. Um, not a team that I expected to be talking about because I kind of thought that they were like they always were, just kind of pushing through it. They did rip some of the Band-Aid off here. They, they, they traded did. Norman Powell. They traded C.J. McCollum. I, I started to do a little bit of work on this as I started to write, and I realized I don't like anything that they got back for these two players. So how, how did they trade two of their most important, you know, starting five and not only get back nothing I, I really don't desire, but not even enough picks to say, oh, at least that's worth it. There's at least a future in draft picks that they can hang their hat on. This team is completely all in on filling their cap space and their flexibility pools so that they can quickly rebuild around Dame Lillard. That is not a recipe for success in the NBA right now. We've seen so many teams go this route and swing and miss completely on whatever players they think they're going to get. And you know the reason, Scott. And we just saw it yesterday with, with Dallas, right? Teams have already started to extend their own. They want players under contract so they can deal with trades or sign-in trades or, or mechanisms that, that benefit the losing team. Guys just aren't going to walk into free agency anymore. And the guys that are there, there's a reason they're there. So if, if, if Portland thinks they're just going to use flat-out free agency to rebuild this team on the fly, to me, that's, that's a glaring, glaring mistake in my opinion. Yeah, I guess from the front office standpoint, they must have some sort of long-term plan that we're not privy to or haven't seen where they want to go. Uh, right now, as the standings are, they would have the eighth and the ninth pick in the in the draft per okay. if the lottery fell as it should. So they at least have the potential of some lottery picks to help rebuild from that standpoint. but. I guess it depends on what they expect with Dame. 
this could just be a tiered approach by them where they're moving McCollum, moving Powell. Maybe Dame is next. You yeah. know, maybe, That's where my maybe head is instead too, of Scott. moving him now, yeah. they are waiting until the offseason where there's more sign-in trades and more players potentially available from a matching standpoint or teams are more apt to make those trades once sure. the season is done and once their playoff is done. So I, I'm not going to shut the door on Dame is still going to be in Portland for the foreseeable future. Um, so uh, it just depends on where their plan is. Now, if you go to the 2022-23 uh, salaries that they have, Bledsoe that they acquired and Hart that they acquired, those are partial or non-guaranteed salaries. So those could easily be moved off. They could, if they like them, they could guarantee them early. But if not, that's salary that they could move off of or use in another trade if they wanted to bring something else in and shift their books that way and put more pieces around Dame. It just depends on what that master plan is between yeah. Dame and that front office. Okay, fair enough. Um, one of the bigger trades, I'll bring it up here on our screen for us so we can break this one down. This one kind of came out of nowhere, though. It makes a ton of sense, almost too much sense to believe that it actually happened, right? Porzingis leaves Dallas after speculation for years and years. The Wizards take him on, plus a second-round pick. They send Spencer Dinwiddie, who was falling out of favor in Washington, rightfully mm-hmm. so, and Davis Bertans, who, you know, that's the, uh, the unicorn contract here, five for 80. He's about 32 million into that. It's uh, there's quite a bit left on that in terms of what um, Washington was going to have to eat. So the question is simply this, would you rather take on Perzingis at, you know, two and a half years for 80 million or Bertans for three and a half years at 55 million? That's really what this trade was all about. Right. It, my short answer is yes. The, the fact that they got off of that Bertans contract, Mm-hmm. And Dinwiddie was uh, not gelling well. And, I, and, and from some things that I have heard and seen, his statistics with Beal were not favorable for right. the Wizards, obviously with Beal being out. But for the long term, if you can move off of him now and get that out of your locker room, um, kudos to Washington for doing so. Now the question is going to be, Bringing back a big in Perzingis, how is that going to fit with Thomas Bryant, yeah. uh, Gafford, Ruri Hachimura? So, are they are they seeing what Cleveland has done with the bigs, and they're going to have some big lineups? Um, the benefit to having Perzingis is you do have those bigs that can play in the paint. He can play in the paint too, but he's also can shoot the three. Yep. So he's a quasi. I'd man. rather yeah. have. Porzingis, who can play D and shoot a three, as opposed to Bertans, who can shoot a three, maybe. He's been wishy-washy here this season and uh, not have the defense. I, I, so I, I'm going to say I'm favorable on the Porzingis side with Washington. It's a good answer. Let's flip to the numbers here a little bit. Which teams are in tax trouble? I've got the list up here for sh- uh, in terms of sharing. Uh, you talked a little bit about Boston getting under there, about two and two point six under at this point. Atlanta's there as well. A uh, couple of teams right there along that line, as you can see, eight, nine, ten there, Scott. Which teams do you think are in trouble the rest of the year here? Probably none of them. I think what they'll do is they're going to do what they if they do need to sign some ten days or some rest of season contracts, they'll they'll do so to get up to that point 
or they may not even make any moves at all. I mean, Indiana, they may, they may be done and pat and just play the rest of the season as is. But again, every, every day counts. So if they do a 10 day, that just is going to cut off of any rest of season if right. they need to do so. So timing is going to be crucial for those teams in specific, the Pacers, the, the Timberwolves and the, the Nuggets there. And then the yeah, the latter two, real quick, the latter two, they're Minnesota and Denver, they're playoff contenders. They're, I think they're both in the five spots here, right, right around or around there. Yeah, right around there. So they're candidates for buyout players. But is this going to be, a, I mean, they're both smaller markets, mid markets in this league right now. How much do you think they care about this tax stuff right now? Because a, a legitimate bio candidate could push them over the edge. I think if they think they can go deep into the playoffs, they may go yeah. over just to add that piece that may be the piece that's going to get them over the hump. But otherwise, I don't foresee them doing too much um, from that standpoint that's going to take them over the tax right now. Okay. Golden State's number is pretty, pretty phenomenal. It's an annual tradition now that we get to look at the bill for the, for the Warriors. Good thing they're uh, in, in top two standings right now in the, in the NBA because $170 million tax bill is not something you want to be playing with much. Um, no, and these, these tax bills, these are record breakers, and they're yeah. just going to continue to be record breakers with these salaries. But Golden State and Brooklyn there, I mean, they're all-time highs that we're dealing with. Um, Milwaukee, they're at the top of the standings, and they're, mm-hmm. I mean, they made some small moves yesterday to sort of get them in better contention to really uh, finish it off. The Lakers, that's a hard pill to swill, mm-hmm. hard pill to swallow. Yeah. $43 million, which is probably why they didn't make any moves, is they, they probably, from the front office standpoint, saw why bring on more money for a team that probably isn't going to go deep into the playoffs with the roster that is intact and, and why make that tax bill worse right now? Um, I heard pretty, pretty closely that they tried a, a Westbrook back to Houston move and they mm-hmm. tried like hell to get Taylor Horton Tucker out of there. Uh, tried Orlando, yeah, he, tried Toronto. Low, they tried quite a bit on, on like three teamers just to, just to change up their roster a little bit. So now they're going to do, you know, what we all assume they were going to do, which is a buyout. They're going to probably drop two of their current players, pick up two buyout candidates and see what kind of shakeup that can be. They, we knew they were stuck in September. <laughs> I mean, this is not a surprise to anybody nope, watching the numbers on this stuff. The way that they built their team, the, the, way they, the way they went about it, the lack of depth, the lack of mid-round salaries made them untradeable. They were an untradeable roster. And we, you know, Keith and you and I talked about this in September. So this was always going to be the, the resolution unless somebody bailed them out with a what with a Westbrook acquisition and nobody did nobody did this time maybe no, this right, offseason but not right now <laughs> and rightfully so why would they want to if you see that the Lakers with LeBron and AD yeah. on that team are are low right now why would you give them a an out you know are we going to start time. hearing LeBron trade rumors Scott I have not but I know you and I off off air have talked about why yeah. would why would they not entertain that or an let me AD? well let me ask you this question because I, I we're just spitballing here is it yeah. easier for the lakers to acquire dame lillard or the portland trailblazers to acquire lebron james if i'm trying to put those two pieces together i i would have said if it was pre the this trade deadline with mccollum and powell yep. then i think 
LeBron going to Portland would have made more sense. Now with the pieces that they have on their roster, it probably isn't, isn't as feasible. Um, if, if it's Dane going to the Lakers now, then it's probably going to be, have to be Westbrook going back, I right. would assume, or with a um, bunch of picks they don't have or AD going back. If that would be the case, if they wanted to move off of him for some reason. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're in an extreme between yeah. a rock and a hard place. And it's only going to be the same next year, unless they can move Westbrook next year, because he's going to opt into that player option and it's going to be the same three. So they're going to have to do some uh, manipulation, massaging, whatever it is in the off season. But keep in mind, they only have right now their 2027 first round pick. That's all they have. That's all they have. Oh boy. All right. Um, your favorite trade from, from a financial standpoint, the one that made the absolute most sense to you this, this past couple of days. Yeah, so I have, I have two, one for trade deadline, one for free trade deadline day. Charlotte, we talked about it. They needed to have a big, they got their big. I hate to see them go from the Wizards, but Harold to Charlotte, I think is going to be my favorite with that team and how they, they started off gangbusters. They had a lull. They're sort of coming back into that yeah. gangbusters. Bridges They're fun as hell. Well. Ball is playing well. Um, you know. Gordon Hayward is injured, but that team as a whole, adding on another big, especially going into the playoffs, mm -hmm. they're going to need that. So I really like that move um, from Charlotte's standpoint. And then yep. the other uh, trade deadline day acquisition was Sacramento getting off of that Bagley contract. Mm. We assumed that they were going to try to move him at some point. They did. Yep. Uh, but the fact that they've got DiVincenzo back, He's an expiring on a rookie contract, but they have his rights. So if, if he plays really well there, they can either re-sign him with those rights or that's a potential sign-in trade to another team if uh, he, he, he's high to some other teams. Let's, look, let's take a look at this four-teamer that includes Bagley. Um, does anything glaringly stand out here that was a miss? Do you think the Milwaukee situation was questionable with Ibaka and his health and things like that? Yeah, it was, I and mean, he may be uh, a tr possible buyout candidate if mm. that's the case, but Milwaukee got some picks back. They got some second rounders here that you can see, and that's just assets that they can use down the line for taking on Ibaka, mm. um, and, and I, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to be back for the playoffs. I have to double check on that. If he can be back for the playoffs, then that's just another big to help yeah. with veteran experience. Uh, along with uh, Porzingis. Yeah, I definitely or, think uh, he's Portis and Yeah, I think he's going to be a part of the roster um, based on what they gave up. You know, they added, what, $8 million here. So it was, or $6 million or so. It was quite a, quite a move from a tax standpoint. But um, Sacramento's just adding bodies. This feels so Atlanta-ish, doesn't it? They're just going to get, you know, 20 people into the room and hope that 11 of them can stick for next year, I think, right? Yeah, I, I think they had to do something with that because if they stood pat, they, they weren't going to go anywhere. So I think from a roster construction standpoint, losing Halliburton was huge, but bringing DiVincenzo and Sabonis back, Josh yeah. Jackson's going to be uh, you know, a body that could at least be depth. So I think they made their roster better for the short term. We'll see how the long term goes with how they're going to gel with Fox and everything like that. But I mean, this is a team 
that between you, me, and Keith, we talked about them. They they had to do something. And the fact that they at least moved off that Bagley contract, they moved healed who we assumed was going to get moved. So I, I think they they at least did something to better themselves. And if I remember correctly, I think they're right on the fringe of the play-in or they're in the play-in right now. Yeah. Uh, so this may be just to get up another seat or two, but it's a step in the right direction if it does work. Hey, real quick. I know we didn't talk about this prior to, but because I'm thinking about that a lot of these contracts that they've acquired are going to be tradable in six, 10 months. You know, they, they right. can kind of flip some of these pieces if they realize they're bad fits or if they can find better assets out there. We, we said this about the Knicks last July, last August, you know, one, two year deals, very, very friendly cap hits, uh, easily movable deals. And yet here we are at the deadline. The Knicks didn't move a single player right. outside of that Cam Reddish acquisition. And by the way, I heard they were trying to flip Cam Reddish. <laughs> so, um, you know, the one move they did make, I think they hated already. So it, was it just a situation where that franchise went completely backwards so quickly that all of their assets just became un, unmovable, unwantable from every other aspect? Yeah, that's a, that's a good theory there. Or it sounds they, like they were trying to move Randall, but why try to move the, your most expensive piece? You know, why not at least trim some of your fat off here? Yeah, or and it could be why make a move just to make a move right now if it's not going to necessarily make you because they're 12 a, a lot better least. than they are now. They're basically why not the just, <laughs> right, but why? Because of how stacked the East is and yeah. some of the moves that had been done in the East, why why make a move just to make a move when you may have bigger fish to fry in the offseason? Those could be potential parts of sign-in trades when more you know free agent signings well, just or say it, just say it. This is a team that's wanted Dame Lillard for three years. It it is. Just say it. So you want to have six players you can package together at to get the 36 million with three draft picks, right? Right. And and why make that move now yeah. when A, he's injured, wait until the offseason. Such and a Knicks there, move. There's, there, there's always more opportunities going into the offseason because yeah. there's a, a fresh outlook from teams. So sure. they'd rather have that than and trade deadlines rarely really move the needle to help into the postseason. Uh, to really get to the next level. It's more about setting yourself up for the off season. And it's interesting you said that Scott, cause I noticed that like the top four in, in each league, in each conference really didn't do much here. No, at the deadline. Didn't. So I think you're right. I think those teams rely more on buyouts so they can be very specific about who they're adding and things like that. You know, more depth pieces than we have to make our shooting guard better right now. I know not. And we'll get to that in a second here, but. Um, I think you're right. I think it is that it is that, you know, the, the teams that sit four, five, six, seven in the standings usually are the ones making the big swings so they can try to get themselves up to that next tier. But the, the, the really, really elite teams generally don't play ball this time of year. Right. Right. And, and the fact that they're setting up like with DiVincenzo, like I said, he's a expiring rookie scale contract. So those are rights. If he does really well, there's going to be teams that are going to be buyers on him. So mm -hmm. If, if they're not in love with the acquisition, even though they tried to get him back in the offseason, that's something that could come back depending on what the salary matching would be for signing him to his contract. Some of these other acquisitions that are, they're, they're expiring, so then 
they could potentially renounce those rights and then have space depending on what team was the acquirer or again, signing, signing trade pieces. If those players want to go somewhere else, some of these trades were for just buyout purposes, you know, Dragic going to San Antonio, that that's going to be a buyout situation. And so they, they get picks to take on that, that salary because they have room for that salary and don't care. So they're getting, these teams in the middle, they're setting themselves up for the future. Um, and and if we go to my other non-trade deadline piece um, that I that I really liked was the the Pelicans. They're not a free agent destination, so they brought in McCollum. They brought in Nance Jr. Nance Jr. is on a super uh, friendly deal for trading him again if they need to. 10, a little over 10 million in this year, nine mm-hmm. next year. So they can move him again. McCollum's at 30, but uh, again, he could be moved again if they need to. They could bring in two pieces if they don't feel he's the guy. But the fact that they brought in these two pieces, veteran experience, they have playoff experience. The Pelicans, I, I think, really did themselves well. Me too. With this trade deadline, especially get knowing. Especially knowing that Zion, we haven't had a, a a viable announcement from them where he is. So, I, I, me personally, I think they were playing their cards close. He's injured. We're gonna trade, make the, and then maybe he comes back uh, going into the playoffs. If not, they've got pieces around Zion from that veteran experience to really help him and those other pieces. On right. The yeah. I, I- I agree with that. And I'll say it a little differently. I like that they're operating with or without Zion at this point versus last year, they were just kind of hoping and praying that Zion would come back and save them. And I think that that narrative has gone with them. In fact, I would slide that narrative more towards it's probably time to start considering trade offers for for Zion uh, as we approach that, that, that extension situation and things like that. Um, So I, I just like that business is open for David Griffin in New Orleans and that they realize they're a fringe team right now. And maybe a couple of vet experienced vets can push them at least into, you know, non play in territory. And we talk about all the time from a roster construction standpoint, who does that team think or know they are? And there's always the time of, they don't know who they are. I think with Griffin and this Pelicans roster, I think they realize who they are and what they have to do from a, roster construction standpoint is they may get the draft but they're never going to be a free agent market so they have to make the trades it's sort of like the memphis grizzlies they hit on some of these draft picks but they've made more trades than other teams and look at where they are and and it's gelling they're having fun i think the pelicans are going down that road right now makes sense to me last question and i'll tee up a softball for you the trade that makes the least financial sense <laughs> this uh, this trade deadline was Harden to the yeah. Philadelphia Let's get to it. Sixers. Let's get to it. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I from a financial standpoint, they brought on Harden with his forty four million. They sent out Simmons with his thirty three, and then Drummond and uh and yeah, Curry. right there. Let's make this set out loud. They had to add two pieces, Philadelphia. Yes. Harden cost too much from a salary matching standpoint. They had to add Simmons plus somebody. They went obviously deeper than that, but um, it was never going to be one for one plus picks. So let's just make no. sure that's thrown out there. Go right. ahead. Yeah. So, it, and the fact that Harden came in and he 
opted into that player option, which we all assumed was going to be the case, but good faith, he did it now instead of waiting to the off season. So they know they at least have him locked up for the remainder of this season plus next season. But what right. is the future? Let me pose a, yeah. Let me pose the, the question to you then, because everybody's just assuming that it means we're going to where I'm showing you on the screen here for those of you watching, which is the, the, the four-year extension tacked onto that option next year. And you know, that's the sexy thing to talk about now because five years, 270 for a guy who's, you know, somewhat out of shape and, and declining productive wise sounds like the storyline to run with based on what Philly gave up in this trade, Scott, do they have to extend him? Or do you think that the rest of this year and all of next year, and then we'll see what happens is perfectly on the table. I do not think they absolutely have to extend him. I think knowing that he's on that player option, he can, he could sign the extension if offered during that next season, if he wanted to. Yeah. What Um, is the, what is the deadline for that? So he, he can not do an extension until six months from this trade. So middle of August is the first time he could sign an extension. Okay. Uh, with that being said, as you can see the numbers there, it's going to be, if he did the max, it's going to be for a, a lot of change okay. there. And do the Philadelphia 76ers, are they sold on a age 37 James Harden making $62 million? No, I don't think so. Um, but I think a lot is going to depend on how he plays the rest of the season. Yeah. He's, he's opted in. So if, it, if it's gangbusters and works out great, I'm probably going to expect in mid-August that there's going to be an extension floated out there just to lock him up and know he's there. But, but there's no guarantee it's a max, right? There's, there is no guarantee it's a max. It doesn't I mean, it could very well be a Chris Paul type contract. Right. And, and you and I have talked about that off air here is it, it could be a friendly deal. Everyone just assumes that it's going to be this maximum amount of money that he could get. But it could be a, a, a four year extension where it's a non-guaranteed or a team option in, in the third or fourth, depending on how they would structure it. It could go that route. But it, it just depends on is James Harden going to play ball with the 76ers now if if it works out gangbusters and they win a championship in the next two years, which that's the window I feel that they have to do this in. They have to prove that within the remainder of this year and exercising into that player option, if they can win the championship with Embiid and Harden and the pieces around him, then this, this is a no brainer, good trade for Philadelphia because it got them to, to the promised land. You know, if we say this all the time, though, we, like we say, you know, they don't have to max that he's probably not. He's going to wait to get extended. Let's just be honest about, you know, 15 years of covering this stuff, Scott. You and I both expect August 11th, 2022, James Harden signs a four year extension, oh, right? Absolutely. Okay. I'm, I'm, I, from from everything <laughs> that we just know, too damn rich. It is. It is. It, and even if it works a little bit. Yeah, this yeah. remainder of this season, up uh, front office is going to say, "Let's just do the extension, and we'll we'll bite the bullet if we have to move on from him in year two or three of that extension, and and go with it." Yeah. But that's a hard pill to swallow. If if you get are getting into fifty eight, sixty two million dollars of a full maximum extension, you know we're talking 
John Wall not being able to be moved right now at 44. Russell right. We Westbrook finally found a breaking point. John Wall finally is the is the untradeable contract. Finally. Right. And James Harden's going to go down that path potentially yeah. because who, who's going to trade for him at that amount of money? And, you know, that lines him up with Embiid. So where does that put the 76ers in five, six years? Well, we'll see. Uh, all, you know, for all purposes, though, we got to watch Dame too. This is a serious injury. He's up. He's, I believe, the same age as Harden. Um, similar styles where there's the usage was crazy for a bunch of years, basically running eighty percent of the offense through that one player. You know, in in, in, in certain instances, you're gonna tack on two more years to his contract and run him through age thirty seven, thirty eight, with with similar kind of numbers, a little bit less. I, I think you're getting into some muddy waters with this. I, I understand that, you know, it's kind of just funny money to these owners and certainly to the GMs who have to kind of modify things in terms of cap and tax. But this is, this is to me too much, this James Harden breakdown. It's too much. Oh, I, I agree. I think we're it is, it is majorly baseball-esque is what it is, Scott. It is, it is the Anaheim Angels signing Albert Pujols in his prime to a, to a contract that they know the second half of the contract is going to be complete BS. They're just going to be paying for a ghost. And that's exactly what happened. And I think that's exactly what this is. Now it's, you know, half the size of the contract. It's five years, not 10. But I think you're right. There's a three-year legitimacy to this kind of contract. And then you're talking about $128 million or $118 million, $19 million of funny money, of fluff. That's, I mean, that's literally why baseball is locked out right now, okay, is that stuff became the trend, became prevalent in the league. So I, I just, I think we all have to be conscious and careful of where we're headed here because, you know, I'm not even sure, give me the superstar, the biggest superstar. Is it Ja? Is Ja like the biggest up and comer right now? He's 20, probably the biggest up and comer. 26 year old Ja Morant, even worth $62 million? You understand what not, I'm saying? Not, not in Memphis, but if it was in a big market, potentially because of the stardom that think of Steph Curry or LeBron in their yeah. prime. You know, if if there was no max, they would yeah. probably be making $60, 70000000 million just because of their stardom, the the presence of bringing fans to the, the, the arenas or marketability. You know, that's what basketball has they have that star face where we've talked in blue in the face major league baseball they don't market their superstars well um so i think if there wasn't a max we'd be seeing higher salaries than we are right now yeah but the fact that harden is going to potentially have that 62 now if i'm 76ers and i see i see it's sort of working out with Embiid and the pieces around him I wouldn't be surprised if they float like a, a one plus one or a two plus one where it's a player option instead of a club option, but you're, you're at least decreasing the term by a year or two, yeah. but giving him the player option of you can leave or you can stay if you still like it here. So you're giving some flexibility to the player, but you're also giving There's- yourself an out instead of locking yourself into four extra guaranteed years. I just all don't know. I, I don't know if the players are there. 
I mean, we can talk about Chris Paul did it, but Chris Paul's Chris Paul. He's he's one of one. He always has been his entire career. So I, I just don't know that the, that the player's there because, and this is the answer the agents will always give. The second one guy do it, does it. Now everybody is expected to follow suit. And James Correct. Harden's status as a superstar in this league, you just don't do that. You don't do that. You have to continue to push this thing forward to make sure there's pressure on the owners, to make sure there's pressure on the GMs to continue to pay, not just the stars, but to pay Davis Bertans, right? Those contracts, they're terrible at times, but most of the time they're really good value because those players get better roles or more or different right. roles or, and you want those kind of things to happen. When, when a player is making 18, there's an expectation to use him and to use him differently and to find more ways versus you got a minimum guy out there. You can play him four minutes a night and nobody's going to gawk at it because that's what Correct. he has been accredited with based on his contract. So that's what the agents are always going to tell you. In every sport, we got to keep pushing the needle forward because the second somebody takes the value, you know, it's like the franchise tag thing. The second you are slapped with a franchise tag, that becomes your value. So, you know, Dak Prescott was a $40 million quarterback the second he got a tag. The second he got a tag. Yeah. And, and I'll add on to that. Uh, you know, we talk about in the NFL quarterbacks and the percentage of cap that they take up of their team. Yeah. We're, we are yeah. getting to that point where these yeah. contracts are going to be so high. We're sort of there already. Wall wasn't able to be moved. Westbrook wasn't able to be moved. Those contracts are really strapping those rosters from expanding or having depth or having viable pieces moving forward so if you're adding that amount of money you're essentially handicapping your team from doing anything else and there's no restructures and there's no you know you can take a little less or proration it's either you move his whole salary james harden 37 year old james harden at 60 61.6 million it's either you move it all or you take it all on yourself or you, you try to work out a buyout with him that maybe he takes half and, and a hope and a prayer. But like I said, that's not an option right now, in my opinion. So you're right, Scott. That's going to be one of 14 contracts on that roster. And that one is going to count 61.6 against the cap and tax. Yeah, yeah. The last thing I'll say with this is knowing that these salaries could, if he signs this extension, say he does it in the off season. Yeah. If we're seeing 62, 63, $65 million salaries in the NBA going into this new CBA, I, I'm not going to say it's coming back, uh, but I won't be surprised if there's conversation of the amnesty clause being put back into the CBA or some kind of uh, some yeah. contention between the union and the league because of how high these salaries and, and I mean, NBA loves it because of the conversation that it generates 24-7, 365. But from a construction standpoint of rosters, I think we're almost at a point where it's going to be detrimental to teams doing anything. And we saw it with the Lakers. They made a really bad move in moving those pieces off and bringing Westbrook in. And we all said it wasn't going to work. And now we're at a point where it's not working and they're handcuffed. And they're going to be handcuffed next year because that player option is going to get exercised. I mean, you're basically a proposing a mulligan Some is what you're, you know, that's essentially what the amnesty was, give or take. It was. And my response to that, Scott, and if I'm Adam Silver or if I'm, you know, the director of finances for the league, my response to that is then don't extend him for four years. 
Correct. No, <laughs> and I completely only agree. offer him a two year extension, three years total. And when he doesn't take it, if he wants to walk, he can walk, but he's walking out of a championship contention team. I, right. To me, that's the response is just handle your business better. Don't don't give in to what is clearly going to be a misrepresentation of your financial situation in four years. Don't do it. Yeah, You have to be financially smart, yeah. like the pool holes that we knew at the back end, it wasn't going to be good. And it was what happened. So yeah. if you're financially smart, you're not going to give him knowing he's not going to be the player he is now or was three years ago at age 37. You don't want to have $62 million on your book. Good stuff, Scott. Thanks so much. Yep. Have a good one.